this is an important uh, point for for brands and companies. They they need to be doing good in society. Um, and so again, doing well uh, by doing good, that's how it works because you you know we're not a not-for-profit, uh, but you can actually do both. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm joined by Cheryl Girin, who is EVP of Global Brand Strategy and Innovation at MasterCard. Cheryl, a delight to have you with us. Delighted to be here with you. Fantastic. Well, before we jump into the main topic of conversation, which is going to be around diversity and inclusion with a particular marketing um, slant to it, for those people that aren't as familiar with you, just to give you the floor for sort of 20, 30 seconds, just to give a brief introduction into who you are and anything else that you feel is relevant. Sure. Well, uh, thank you again for having me. And I am uh, thrilled to be here to talk about uh, topics that I'm really passionate about. But I'm a longtime marketer uh, at MasterCard. I manage our brand and uh, our overall priceless uh, campaign, which is you know a thrill to work on for, for many years now. Um, and I manage our digital marketing, our, our research and insights, our global media, uh, and uh, and our advertising and overall brand strategy. So uh, the topics that we're going to talk about today go hand in hand with the job I have. Fantastic. And it's a very, very broad remit. So, I mean, it's nice because it means we can go off in all sorts of different directions, I'm sure. Um, so the way that we always start here on B2B Marketing Provocative Truth is, of course, with a provocative truth. And what I want to sort of put to you today is that marketing, and I'm probably talking about marketing as a general rule here, because clearly there are exceptions, but marketing is not adequately inclusive to market to what is now an increasingly diverse world. What do you think to that? Do you think that that is true? Or do you think that I'm missing the mark a little bit there? I think based upon everything I know, uh, marketers have the ability to do this. So I, I think it is missing the mark. I think okay. marketers just have to be able to do this and do this effectively. Uh, and it starts with action. It's less about saying and more about doing. So uh, frankly, it just requires a shift in how marketers are thinking and how they're actioning um, uh, at their companies and uh, within their marketing. Okay, interesting. So from your perspective, actually, I suppose it's probably interesting um, for us to, th to think about what is the, the makeup of modern marketing teams, and whether they are representative of those target audiences. So that's probably first bit for us to discuss. But from your perspective, it doesn't matter whether there isn't that sort of reflection between the, the marketers and, and the target audience, providing you think about things in the right way, and you take into account the right, right factors. Well, listen, the best way to ensure diversity um, and inclusion is to make sure that uh, the team uh, has strong diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's step one. You know, you start with people, you start with your agencies as well. And are they representative uh, of the audiences we're trying to reach? But then there are other means as well. Obviously, I lead research and insights and understanding what matters to people 
is core to what's made MasterCard and our priceless campaign successful for so many years, 25 years now, actually. Um, and so, you know, getting underneath what are truly meaningful insights are, you know, where it starts. The second piece is, and many companies do this, we do this exceptionally well, uh, I believe at MasterCard, we have business resource groups. And so we have groups that we tap at the organization to help us review creative, review cultural nuances and insights. And, um, and so we could tap any number of these BRGs, whether it's the Women's Leadership Network, uh, LEAD, which is our community of uh, African-American employees, mm -hmm. um, Pr Pride, our LGBT community, and more. So, you know, this is about having people at the table um, in any way, shape, or form to make sure that you're not leaving anyone out. Okay. So for you, it's about how you form extended communities rather than it important for marketers themselves to be representative of the audiences that they are um, targeting. I mean, it's all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. You need a diverse team uh, to begin with. And I think, you know, the way we look at it, we look at uh, diversity and inclusion in three ways. How do we action uh, people? So making sure our people, people at the table are diverse. Uh, Two is our, our market pillar. What should we be doing? That ties right back to the business uh, where diversity and inclusion matters. Um, you know, it's gonna, when you look at your business, when you look at the makeup of your business, who you're selling to, it's going to matter, right? Um, and so it's critical there. And then there's the societal pillar and that looks at what should we be doing as a company to help society? So I, I tell you, it's all of those things. So you should start with people at the table, but then you can create a community. And as you know, just like um, we do with anything, getting under uh, the hood and understanding ethnographic and really what makes people tick and cultural nuances, that's, that's a skill in terms of insights that needs to be drawn out so you get this right. All, and then you test every piece of creative. So just even if you have somebody on your team, you know, getting to a quantitative group where you're testing and validating all along the way, we do all of these things. And I think ethnography is certainly something I'd like to pick up later. But so just quickly, I think it, it sounds that from MasterCard's perspective, you've got you've got those you've got the framework certainly in place and almost you have that sort of the institutions within place to make sure that that's uh, that's working successfully but if you're to look more broadly at b2b marketing as a whole what is the scale of the problem do you think in terms of a lack of inclusivity and therefore not being representative to your, your target audiences and what are the consequences of brands not getting that right you know i i think there's a there's a higher order issue uh on b2b marketing and it's going to um have an impact on this and i think the problem is that people um and marketers and companies uh think just because you're talking to a b2b audience that you're not talking to a human person <laughs> and the person is a consumer they actually wear a consumer hat they have a life um outside of their job and then they have uh their their hat that they wear while they're at job uh at their job and i think it requires us to think in human terms and you know we call this um b to h you know business mm -hmm. to human and really again comes back down to what's motivating 
what's driving that decision maker or multiple multiple decision makers. Um, and so understanding this is, is really critical. Um, and there's a hint I just gave in there. I think in most B2B decisions that are made uh, these days, there's about six to 10 uh, decision makers uh, along that path. And frankly, millennials are starting to become more and more instrumental and in how they receive communication, how you talk to them is very different uh, than in the past. So, you know, there's there's diversity in every single decision that gets made on the B2B side. And from your perspective, and I appreciate the deplo necessary diplomacy there, but where do you feel the majority of the industry is, though, in terms of whether it's appreciating that the, the audience are human beings, and that relates to your B2H point, or whether it's actually truly understanding the diversity of their audiences they're trying to reach. Where do you think most B2B sort of marketers or B2B organizations are within that sort of transition to that level of understanding? Uh, you know, I I can't speak on behalf of other organizations mm -hmm. and where they are. I could speak on behalf of ours and the same rules apply as we look at our sales force, as we look at our entire uh, staff, there are commitments and objectives related to ensuring there's diverse people at the table. Um, and, you know, ensuring that we have diverse people in our sales teams that are on the front lines working with um, working with uh, our audiences that they're selling to as well. So um, I, I, you know, I don't think this is a journey. I don't think anybody could claim that they're there a hundred percent. I think it's something that we have to continue working on. I mean, as our, our, uh, audiences get younger, I just talked about millennials, mm. it, they get more diverse. Um, and so this is truly like thinking about your frontline staffing, thinking about, uh, who's working on your sales enablement tools, who's working on your communications. All of this needs to be, um, you know, effectively thought through. Um, and again, you know, proper testing, uh, again, on the B2B side, there's no reason why you can't have proper testing, whether that's in-market testing or pre-testing, which we do a ton of. Uh, to make sure that we're hitting the mark uh, with uh, understanding the audiences that we're selling to. I think it's really interesting you talk there about the the thought process that goes into thinking about who your frontline salespeople are, who are the people that are developing the sales enablement, as you just mentioned there. Now, is that a very, is that an, if you just take me behind the curtain almost, is that a very deliberate exercise where you will think about your target audience, you will map them maybe into different sort of demographic groups, and then you'll think about your sales staff, and then you will match people up correspondingly? Is it that scientific? Or is it more done on a sort of intuitive basis? I'm not sure it's that scientific. I think it's you look at um, your makeup, and you ensure that we have a diverse group overall right. and uh, and throughout, and each team looks at their diversity mm. overall. And you could draw on uh, different people, different experiences at any time when you have uh, diverse people around the table. Um, and so again, I think uh, at the end of the day, it's understanding that customer. It always is going to come down to understanding that customer. You know, we have segments of uh, B2B audiences um, and it's typically uh, the type of, um, uh, it has to do with the type of business that they're running and the type of needs they have. And they become needs-based 
uh, segmentation. As we look again, how you message, how you talk to, uh, how people like to be sold to, you know, again, that's where, you know, testing, learning, uh, putting forth different messages and, uh, you know, using smarter uh, sales tools. I'll tell mm -hmm. you right now, one of the things that we're doing is we have a, something called, we call it Digital Engine, and it's an AI um, uh, managed capability that uh, spots trends. And when we look at trends, or you could look at intent signals on the B2B side, you serve up um, the right message at the right time to that right person. And so, you know, there's different ways to look at how you're messaging to B2B, to be mm -hmm. smart, to be on target, to be effective um, at uh, messages that you're sending. Definitely. And I think that the key thing to good messaging is actually removing some of the the bias which exists from the individual that's actually sending that message. And you talk there around how you're using AI to, to achieve that. And I'm just wondering if we sort of think back to how we were talking about you assemble your teams and you, you go through that thought process. Within general organizations, there's a lot of work in terms of unconscious bias training. And that is a really key to in achieving inclusivity within organizations. Do you apply any of that sort of thinking to your marketing colleagues um, to help them separate what will be an unconscious bias, which will imp implement, sorry, influence their decision making, or influence their, their choice when it comes to, to messaging, to make sure that they are being led by information and data and relevance to the audience? Uh, yes, actually. I, I will tell you that we do a number of um, inclusive training, uh, inclusive trainings to our marketing staff. Um, one, uh, of course, we do unconscious bias training as an organization as a whole, but then we have a marketing curriculum that we take. Uh, we're a part of the Unstereotype Alliance, so we do have um, online training, and then we do half-day training uh, with every uh, group of marketers around the world where we're digging into um, you know, best practices, worst practices, um, and how you think about uh, a brief and evaluating creative where you remove that unconscious bias that could exist. So we spend a lot of time um, uh, and, and effort on making sure that we're doing this right. And I can tell you the types of um, end products or end marketing that's come out from understanding what matters uh, to people, I'll, I'll just share one or two of these. But uh, an example of this would be True Name, the True Name uh, feature that we introduced. By understanding the LGBTQIA plus audience and understanding that there's segments within segments and not everybody has the same experience with our products, mm -hmm. we learned that the transgender community actually had a pain point with our cards, our you know payment cards, and it was the name on the card which in most cases required a legal name. Um, and to a transgender or non-binary person, that name is not their chosen name. Uh, sometimes they'll refer to it as a dead name. Yeah. And therefore you have a um, experience where one, you're not proud to own the product because the product doesn't represent who you are. And two, you have uh, risk and you know many of uh, the transgender community um, have reported that when they present an ID, um, you know, could be a card, a payment card or other ID that doesn't represent how they uh, present themselves, they report being harassed, discriminated against or denied service. 
And so we came out with the True Name feature, which has rolled out now on our cards um, around the world, uh, now available in over 40 markets with our banks. And, you know, this is the kind of product that comes out when you're focused not on just communication, um, but not just saying, but doing and taking real action and uh, pushing, you know, we're, we are a B2B company. So getting mm -hmm. that consumer product out there, that takes convincing our banks that we have to do something different. And that's what we've been doing. That's just one example of how we're doing this. Excellent. Excellent. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really nice story that and in many respects just really because of the the end impact it has now I, i'm assuming that you probably sort of use some different ethnographic sort of techniques to get that level of understanding and i said i was going to bring it back to that um i'd be really interested i know it's slightly off topic but i think it's still relevant how how do you use ethnography within MasterCard and within your marketing? And also, I think, what, what does it look like? Because I think ethnography can mean all sorts of different things. And I don't think we mean it in the true anthropological sense, but within its application within marketing, what does it look like and how are MasterCard using that to good effect? Yeah. Uh, so I have to, uh, before I answer the ethnography question, I have to tell you just you just this whole conversation around having the right people at the table, that um, idea or the understanding that there was a pain point came from the fact that we had a transgender individual working on our business at our mm. ad agency. So we worked with uh, McCann Q for all of our initiatives on communications and efforts, you know, um, and concepting around uh, our pride sponsorships and um, and efforts that we'd have all year round. And that uh, was the first time we heard of the challenge. Then we took that further. And um, actually, we worked with the New York City Rights uh, Human Rights Commission here and brought in um, uh, a variety of uh, people from the community, you know, segments within the segment um, of the LGBTQIA plus community and, you know, spent time understanding the process and what they go through um, related to using a payment card and what it feels like, you know, asking a set of questions um, and even taking video, frankly, that we wound up using in future communications of hearing, um, you know, the pain that people go through when, uh, you know, you have to present a card and that anxiety of that name doesn't necessarily match how they present themselves. Um, and what that feels like for a moment, you can actually, um, you know, understand what somebody's going through. And in fact, when we devised the final set of communications around this, to us, this was not only changing a product that would get out there, but we had to have a communication around this that people would empathize with this community and what they go through. And that's what we were able to do by sitting with one-on-one. -on -one uh, you know, all all different segments of the LGBTQIA plus uh, community and understand the differences and how they use our products. And there was that pain point there that was just, you know, that we take for granted every day. 
mm-hmm. not knowing that 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 caused somebody pain. And so we said we have to do something about it and fix it. Uh, so it's been, again, a really powerful journey. But getting that uh, one-on-one dialogue going, we didn't we didn't do ethnography uh, in the sense that we didn't go into their homes like you do in some cases with ethnographies, mm. but we brought in um, consumers and one-on-one spent some time understanding their life. So more than the payment category and then how that uh, related to payment overall. I think that, that it's... Whether or not it was deliberate, but that slight just sort of clause that you said in your sentence is understanding their life beyond the category. And I think that that is so key. And that's what I think can be really transformational in terms of how you can use qualitative insights. Um, My just very final question. um, So I think that it's. It's, it's been really interesting in terms of how you've talked around sort of the expanding of the the communities and making sure that that's how you get that input and that representation. But for you as MasterCard, how do you measure yeah, that sort of journey towards greater inclusivity and, and representation? Do, do you put hard metrics against that or is it something which is done on a more sort of anecdotal qualitative basis? You know, there's a number of measures. There's definitely hard measures. I'm going to start with, um, I'm going to start with a hard measure around our employees, uh, and it's our employee engagement surveys that we do every year. And inclusion again. You know, the types of things that we're doing don't happen at a company that um, isn't inclusive at its core, right? No one told us to go. Uh, work on that uh, true name card or several others that we're doing in this space where, you know, we're just so proud of what we're putting out there. But that's that emulates from a company who um, requires and mandates and praises uh, diversity and inclusion. And so decency at its core. So we look at how are the employees Uh, feeling? Are they feeling um, included? Do they feel they could come to work and be themselves? And so those those are really important. And that true name card drove so much pride in the company, um, both as an innovator and as an inclusive innovator. So that's number one. Two, we we look at our brand. And, you know, you have to know what what I find um, really uh, gratifying is whenever we've done one of these initiatives, we've done this one, we've done another uh, product called Touch Card, which is uh, for those that are visibly impaired um, and it has Mm -hmm. a notch system to help the blind. Again, you look at this and it continually for us over and over again, we see impact, um, not just on the audience that we're trying to reach the diverse audience that we're trying to touch and help, but it has a, a broader impact on, you know, inclusivity as a brand. So we'll see our brand measures go up uh, significantly around these initiatives and uh, and that sustains, right? This is an important uh, point for, for brands and companies. They, they need to be doing good in society. Um, and so again, doing well, uh, by doing good, that's how it works. Cause you, you know, we're not a not for profit, uh, but you can actually do both, which is amazing. And then third, we look at, you know, preference and usage as well. Does it increase our usage, uh, desire to have a MasterCard versus other brands? Um, and then certainly distribution, right? So distribution and usage on new cards that will will have impact um, when we're innovating. So it's a number of these. They come back down to um, 
both impact on society, impact on employees, um, and then, you know, a third impact on your business. That's how that's what makes all of these initiatives sustainable and work. Well, I think I th thank you very much. I think this has been a really, really interesting conversation. Actually, also, it's been a nice build on previous conversations that we've had on this podcast around inclusivity and diversity within sort of marketing. And I think for for me, I mean, these there's two really big things. Firstly, it's look, obviously, you've got to, as an organization, try and make sure that you are inclusive and diverse as you possibly can be. But there are always going to be limits. You know, there is a finite number of people that work within an organization. So the idea that you can get a representative, um, you know, group of employees for society is probably naive. And that's where I think that your point around thinking about your extended community, so whether that's through your agencies, whether that's through advocacy groups that you might have outside of the organization or indeed within the organization is so, so important in making sure that you're getting those right inputs and you're developing the nuanced understanding. But I think the second part is to make that effort of understanding people. And I think, as you said, beyond the category or beyond their, their job role, if you understand them within the context of the, the environment that they operate in, you're going to get fantastic information, which you can then feed into more nuanced, more appropriate, more relevant um, marketing. So that's uh, been really, really interesting to hear. But just before you go, um, we always like to ask people that join the podcast, um, a question around probably actually relates to this old whole idea of reconceptualizing B2B buyers and thinking about them as humans. Um, and we believe it's absolutely imperative that within B2B marketing, we get that emotional response from people as well as the rational response. So when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing, piece of communications, advertising, creative that you really felt in your guts, that you had that deep emotional response to. Now, it can be B2C if necessary, but, you know, the floor is really wide open for you to, to share what really has resonated with you. I'll tell you, um, uh, there's there's a couple of things and they fit into the, there's a couple of brands. It's it's definitely consumer. Uh, I I turn back, I consistently get reminded by uh, Dove, you know, the, mm. the campaign for real beauty which really hits me um, emotionally. Um, I have boys, but if, you know, I think of my friends with daughters and the, the kind of messaging that comes through there mm -hmm. is really important. The point that I love though, is when they're looking to modernize that. And so they just recently launched, um, uh, you know, a gaming program with Epic and with Epic Games, where they actually created skins for uh, females that were, you know, of, a variety of different, um, you know, like inclusive mm -hmm. that would never be inclusive as part of the game, you know, skins. And then also, you know, so it's not like the perfect body, uh, you know, well, I don't even want to use the words of what typically is in a game for uh, representing a woman's body, but it was a better <sighs> view of what mm. it should be and a mm. more representative of real women. And so they did this along with an education program for developers, for women to get more developers at the table. And it's exactly this conversation, you know, in order for uh, to build an inclusive gaming world, you have to have these women developers at the table thinking of all the audiences, not just uh, one. So, you know, I think it's things like this, you know, Starbucks also, they did also similar to us in the LGBTQIA plus yeah, uh, community, right? First, they did beautiful communication <clears throat> that showed they were allies. And they said, you know, 
put whatever name you want. And I thought that's a beautiful communication, but what are they doing? And then they started doing, um, helping uh, uh, the community, transgender community get name changed, uh, their name changed, which is hard to do. So, you know, it comes back to not just saying, but doing. These are the marketers that I find, this is hard to do, by the way, takes a ton of planning and time. I think those are two examples where they've done it. I mean, I'm familiar with the um, the Starbucks ones, definitely. And I was thinking that in terms of when you were talking around the the campaign and the efforts that you guys have done as well. But I, what I really liked about the Dove one, it's just everything's so joined up. It all it all fits together in terms of the activity they're doing, and also that that understanding of their audience, understanding of their different channels, um, is really really on point. So anyway, Cheryl, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much for for joining us. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up in the UK soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me again. Thanks very much. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.